instead of finding your passion, just get really good at what you do or what you kind of like doing, mm. you know, and just get better at that rather than using this word passion and feeling that you've got to be all emotional and intense about it. But just, you know, if you're good at your job, maybe knuckle down, get better at it and you might start enjoying it more. And also, you know, stop always thinking that there's a better option around the corner. You know, this fear of missing out, um, fear of missing out on a wonderful career. Maybe it's really just about picking one thing and deciding that you're going to do this thing and be happy with that. Hey guys, welcome back to Adventure Fit Radio. Today, what we have is we have a show with Barry McDonough and Tommy. Um, I am up in Cairns at the moment, and we have a few shows left in the bank, uh, backed up, but this one is one that Tommy recorded on his own with, uh, with Barry. Now, apologies um, for the audio, as the audio is recorded via Skype, um, not sure what happened there, but um, the audio is still pretty good. So you guys, it's not our normal quality audio, but it's still pretty good. So you guys will, uh, you guys will get heaps out of this show. It's Barry's a longtime guest of ours and um, just an awesome guy. And yeah, it's gonna be, um, it's gonna be one you really, you really want to listen to. So, um, but guys, make sure that before you or after you um, check out the show, you check out our sponsors. So we're brought to you by True Protein. Head to trueprotein.com.au. What you'll find there, guys, is uh, you'll find all sorts of proteins, performance foods, health foods, um, even some cool apparel and recovery um, equipment and so forth. Um, basically, they've got everything that you could ever imagine, everything that you could ever need. Aminos and creatines, um, fast release and slow release, uh, proteins, all vegan blends, all kinds of um, gainers for mass gainers, um, all that kind of all that kind of business um, stuff for 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 weight loss, stuff to for night recovery proteins. I'm not being too coherent here, but they're bloody awesome, and you can get ten percent off using the code. ADVF. That's at trueprotein.com.au. Also, guys, head to adventurefittravel.com. What you'll find there is you'll find all of our trips that we have coming up. We have an epic uh, amount of trips coming up for you guys at the moment. So we've got Vietnam on the radar. Um, South Africa is coming up this year. Iceland is coming up. Mexico, Everest Base Camp, Thailand, Hawaii. Basically, guys, how it works is I plan an adventure itinerary anywhere around the world. Um, so, uh, let's use, um, let's use Bali, for example, we're about to head to Bali. So in Bali, we've got eight days in those eight days, we'll do a day of surfing, a day of rafting, a day of diving, um, some stand-up paddle boarding. We'll also train throughout. So we'll get our heart rates up, blow the cobwebs out, really, you know, do some hard work and, and really enjoy it. And also focus on some mindfulness. So we'll do three uh, three yoga sessions or a couple of yogas and a, and a meditation session. And then we drink beers when it's time to drink beers and we eat burgers when it's time to eat burgers. And just uh, we basically have as much fun as, as is humanly possible. So if you guys, that sounds good to you guys, which it should. And it, if it doesn't, then you should not listen to this show because you're an idiot. Um, if that sounds good to you guys, then you can check us out at, at adventuretravel.com. Use the code RADIO for 10% off, and, uh, and that's it. Also, guys, if you'd like to support this show, you can do so by heading to www.patreon.com forward slash adventurefit, and you can, uh, you can give as little as $1 per month. 
to support the show and support Adventure Media. Thanks. Here's the show. Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one. No touching of the hair or face. And that's it. Yo. Discovery Roger, go for deploy. Where did we come from? Some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, too rare to die. Welcome back, Mr. McDonough. You know, <laughs> and I'm very happy to be back. Yeah, we had great fun the last time. I think, um, you know, I've been thinking about the community thing a lot in the last um, couple of weeks because I've been reading a book as well on anxiety and depression. Mm. Um, is the title Lost Connections? I'm, I hope I'm not got oh, that wrong. Is it by but, Johan Hari? Yes. Isn't he yes. great? Very, very good. Fantastic. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and the core of kind of what he's speaking about is about this um, loss of connection leading to things like anxiety and depression. Yeah. And, you know, just, okay, so I live in Dublin and as I interact with the city, it, I think because of technology, maybe possibly we're just, we, we seem to be connecting less and less with one another face to face. And so when we're in a space where we might strike up a conversation, it's so much harder to do when everyone's looking at their phones or it just feels a bit more awkward to make that step Absolutely. because you think they're busy and you don't want to interrupt them. Um, you know, they're doing something better. I think when you're staring at your phone, it's kind of giving people the impression I've got something more interesting here in front of me or yeah. more that I want to engage with other than you, whoever's in in in, in company. And um, so I think of things like, uh, okay, going to a yoga class, for example, you go to a yoga class, you do it. There's this emphasis maybe on, you know, connecting with yourself and relaxation. But then as soon as the class is over, everyone disperses and they're gone straight out the door. Mm. And I think people are looking for these opportunities to connect, but they're not given them. You know, people don't create enough of them. And we're just there talking about CrossFit, whereas that's one example of a of a an experience where I think the community is really built into it. Wouldn't you agree? The community aspect. Well, absolutely. And, you know, you touched on some really good points. Johan Hari did a fantastic podcast with Joe Rogan. Um, I'm not sure if you heard it, but it was great. No. And, um, I'm really excited to explore some of this stuff with you, mate. But um, the thing about CrossFit, and you're exactly right. It is easier and easier every day as technology progresses and our social ideology progresses that comfortable situations uh, are the go-to, and, and we can eat, we can we can with greater ease avoid uncomfortable situations um, because we we now have things that we can do. Like if we're in an elevator, how many people get their phone out and just look down at it? Honestly, because yeah. subconsciously, I feel you know they don't even know they're doing it, but they just don't want to be stuck in that awkward science and it's bizarre to even exist yeah. in a world where we're all connected and we all descended, you know, and evolved from a fungus three billion years ago, you know, we're all connected that we can't have a conversation in an elevator. But the thing about CrossFit is that and, you know, high intensity exercise, we're all doing the same workout and when the coach says three, two, one, go, you have a certain um, a certain thing to do. You have a certain amount of reps to complete um, under a certain time cap, 
It's you against the clock. And this is talking about not necessarily, not necessarily the social interaction, but more so the uncomfortable uncomfortability. But you know mm. exactly how well or, or shit house you went when the when the clock runs down to zero. And the application to lifestyle, I guess, where this is um, significant is the fact that if you're someone that comes in here and you you naturally, I guess, cheat a few reps or you, you don't go down or you don't do what the coach is saying or you just stop or you make excuses for yourself, you're probably doing that in real life as well. And you're someone that's probably saying, you know, oh, I'm so sorry, mate, I couldn't get to work on time, that the, the tram was late when, when really it was just that you slept in and you you know, watch too many episodes of Game of Thrones last night. <laughs> but mm, that's interesting. So it, yeah. it, it's a reflection. It is. I really. This is why I I gained such a such a a personal level of fulfillment from being a CrossFit coach is because it, there is there is a, a a significant degree of personal responsibility when you do the workout yourself, but you also help people in that application to lifestyle. You know, people come in all the time. They say, "Oh, I can't do a snatch or I can't do a squat." You know, and it's 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 okay. You may not be able to do it now, but it doesn't mean you, in three or six months' time you won't be able to do it then. You know, and it, it's a really good application to use that word again because it shows people that the pursuit of happiness or whatever you want, that attainment of fulfillment, is just that. It is it is a practical uh, journey, and some people aren't just happy for a reason or sad for a reason. They're happy because they've They've done something about it, and they're productive, and they're you know they're fulfilled, and they have gratitude because they've done something about it. And I really feel that that's what CrossFit does for a lot of people. It, yeah, it reminds me of you've probably been following Jordan Peterson, that Canadian psychologist, and it reminds me of what he speaks about when he talks about we're not we're not really looking for happiness; we're looking for a sense of meaning and a sense of you know, having undertaken um, something difficult and overcome it. That's where the real joy comes from. And Absolutely. I'm sure, you know, the same with exercise. It's it's very uncomfortable, but you feel mm. so good afterwards. And, and even with that awkward silence that you mentioned there in the elevator, there is this uh, discomfort of being in that space with other people. I'm like, okay, do I start a conversation? But <laughs> if you work through the discomfort, instead of grabbing your phone, you'll be so much more happier for it because you've connected with other people. You know, if you strike up a conversation or even if it's just engaging very, very, on a very minor level with people, you still feel better for having pushed through the discomfort than mm. rather gone for the easy option, the easy way out, which is to pretend you're checking your voicemail or ch- checking your texts. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I, I, I just finished reading his book. Actually, it's a fantastic book. Twelve Rules for Life. Mm. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you get it? Have you got into it? I haven't read the book. No, I've just been watching his YouTube videos. Yes. Yeah. He's slightly controversial, and I, I kind of love that. I love. I love anyone that's controversial because you know everyone should have their own floor and their ability to speak um, speak when they want to speak. And uh, you know, mm. he goes his own way, which I think is really interesting. But he's. Um, yeah, his views on evolutionary psychology and all that sort of stuff, and I find mostly fascinating. You know, and the um, mm. we can look at the the modern world today, and we can look at how easy it is. But you know, back in the day, I guess when the way our bodies have evolved to perceive the world, and you know, make us stay till two thousand eighteen, I guess um, we really do need a sense of fulfillment in our life because. You know, like we used to gain so much gratitude and so much fulfillment. We used to get pumped with feel-good hormones from going out there, not only finding an animal but but killing the animal, skinning the animal, you know, um, feeding the tribe, 
everyone else would work together mm-hmm. to, to raise their own children. You just have this very, very communal, social, like everyone's put in, you know? And that, again, yeah. bringing back to CrossFit, like everyone's put in tonight. We've all, we've all worked really hard and we're all feeling the same sort of thing that everybody else is feeling, even in ancestral times because they were moving around. They were getting all that you know, that endogenous morphine pump as well. So that was an added bonus. But in this day and age, something as simple as a, as a dopamine, as a dopamine and serotonin kick back in the day, like hunting food. Now it's just a click of a button away on, on Uber Eats. And Mm. a lot of people out there, you know, irrespective of what sort of timeline you work, like a nine to five or whatever. But the sad realization is that people that work for big, big corporations and things like that, they're cogs in wheels and they never get the fulfillment of seeing the final output of what they've worked hard towards. And that's a massive, massive factor to, to the, the depression or the mental health issues that I think we're seeing. Yeah, it's all a few steps removed. Absolutely. Mm. I was just doing some um, small DIY stuff yesterday and I haven't done it in a long time. And it felt so fulfilling just to hold tools, to feel like you've done the simplest little thing around the home and fixed it. Yeah. Because it's immediate as well. It's immediate sense of that's complete. It's a mini project. And I think people get the same from cooking as well. Mm. Get that same sense of, you know, having made a nice meal. Because there's not, you know, because as you say, we're working in offices now and, you know, we're all on these kind of maybe working on projects that are long term and sometimes they get cancelled and it's somebody else's project. It's not yours. You don't have ownership over it. So there's all these disconnects yes. um, from from the actual work that's been done. Absolutely. But there's also this uh, this kind of we're wired to work with our hands, I think, as well. You know, we and we can't just give that up overnight and, and not suffer any consequences. So, you know, you meet people who are who are into crafts or maybe who farm, but farm in kind of more, more organic way, not so much with machinery or who, who've gone back to old trades like weaving or being blacksmiths or something like that. And yeah. they seem very, very happy. There's some kind of internal joy that they're getting from doing that, which I think most people are missing out on, which, and it was something we all had, you know, everyone had a role within the community, in the tribe, the village, up until very, very recently. Mm, mm. And half the problem now is what the hell do you do? Because there's so many options of, you know, people are always saying you've got to find your passion, you've got to find your thing. But it's so confusing. There's so many options. Where do you start? Um, it was a lot easier wasn't when there wasn't so many choices and your dad was a blacksmith and you became a blacksmith <laughs> or, you know, when your role was already defined for you. Yeah. In many ways, that was quite liberating. Absolutely. You know, you, you, your dad was a prostitute. You became a prostitute. You just got in the family business. <laughs> it was easy, you know. <laughs> get out, get out, sit in, follow, yeah, follow, follow the family tree. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Pardon the pun. <laughs> well, so, so what, what do you say then, Barry, to, to people that come to you and say, oh, you know, look, I've heard, you know, I've got to find my passion. I've got to find my passion. But, but where do I start and how do I even begin a journey to find a passion, you know, before, let alone run with it? Oh, my skin kind of crawls when I hear that word now, though, because it's so overused. It's such a cliche. And um, and I think, the, you know, the original idea of passion was passion wasn't meant to be a good thing. You know, we mm. talk about the passion of Christ and passion was a sense of obsession. You know, it was something that obsessed you, not necessarily in a good way. But now in modern culture, it's, you know, everyone is trying to put on their CV what they're passionate about. And every business has got on a page where they're saying we're passionate about this. And you don't believe it because they're talking about things that you you know people could just not be passionate about or a whole company could not be passionate about making little plastic parts for wheels and cars. You know, yeah. you, know you just kind of go, I don't believe I don't buy into this. I don't believe it. 
you know, when people use it kind of so out of context or so over, or who, who overuse the word too much. And then the whole self-help movement now is this obsession with, you know, and all the, whole, all the podcasts you listen to or a lot of them, it's about, okay, so just follow your passion, Steve Jobs, speech, all that stuff. Yeah. But most people, I believe, don't have a passion. They have things they like doing, but they, I think the majority of people don't have a burning desire for a certain thing. And they feel very, very... Um, I'm frustrated, I think, when they keep hearing this message of, you know, find your passion, because there's people out there, let's say they're in their 30s and they're going, I've spent 10 plus years, maybe 15 years trying to discover passion. Yeah. And I still don't know what it is. Yeah. You know, and they're, It's a bit unfair to kind of put out this message that the only way you're going to be happy is find your passion. Um, so the, I, I like there's kind of alternative approaches to that, which are instead of finding your passion, just get really good at what you do or what you kind of like doing, mm. you know, and just get better at that rather than using this word passion and feeling that you've got to be all emotional and tense about it. But just, you know, if you're good at your job, maybe knuckle down, get better at it and you might start enjoying it more. Mm. Um, and also, you know, stop, stop always thinking that there's a better option around the corner, you know, this fear of missing out, um, fear of missing out on a wonderful career. Maybe it's really just about picking one thing and, and, and deciding that you're going to do this thing and, and be happy with that. Mm. Going back to what we're saying about when you had a, job, a role in the village, there wasn't really a choice. You were just kind of handed on a, a, an apprenticeship and you got on with it. But I think those people were probably a lot happier than people who are in offices now trying to figure out their passion and what way they should go. But, um, you know, so I've, so what I do is I talk to people about what they like rather than what they're passionate about and, and maybe kind of work from there. Um, but do you get what I mean about the whole passion thing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think it's a really interesting point and I probably have like a, a slightly different take on it. I still, um, I'm just lucky to have, um, not to uh, make your skin, skin crawl too much, mate, but <laughs> I'm lucky to have found <laughs> things that I'm really passionate about and. I, I kind of had to come to a sense that um, the things I'm passionate about weren't necessarily um, financially um, beneficial for me initially. You know, I, I loved having conversations like this. I love to really talk and 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 learn about people um, because yeah. people lo- know so much more than I do, and I'm just a curious, dumb little dude. But I just want to learn more. You know, that's very that's a thing of passion to me. Um, CrossFit is, um, and playing guitar is for sure. Um, but what, what I think, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, um, is, there a, is there a reason why people only like things and they don't actually know what they're passionate about? And is, has that got anything to do with the, um, the role that modern distraction plays on people's lives and that because people don't have enough time mm. with themselves, they don't have the ability or the tools, I guess, to find what they're passionate about? Yeah, you know, I'm not 100% sure. Okay, so I think maybe, let's say 20% of the population maybe have passions, things that they're really excited about. And they just, you know, from a young age, they were into surfing or they were into, you know, whatever. Yeah. But um, the other 80%, I think they all have things they know they like doing. I wonder, okay, maybe, maybe is it because they're afraid that they'll fail in some way or they'll embarrass themselves if they follow something that they really feel they're passionate about. Maybe may, are they blocking themselves in some way from turning a like into a passion? That's a possibility. I don't know. Maybe, you know, that kind of 80% of the population are, are blocked in some way. 
Or, or maybe it's just the case that there isn't things that engage them as much as other people. I don't really, ha- I don't have an answer for that, but I just feel it's, um, it's just a bit unfair to be telling the population, the whole population that everyone's got a passion. And if you haven't found yours, then you're kind of failed in some way because you're, you're on your deathbed thinking, God, you know, I didn't have a passion like everyone else seemed to have one, you know, mm. and there can be a bit of regret around that. Mm. Um, mm. You know those. You know that book on where they stood and they kind of asked them the questions. What did you regret most? Yeah. The main thing that comes up is not being yourself, not being true to yourself. And I think what that really means is not expressing yourself, not speaking up for yourself when you should have, not um, not following your own path. Now maybe that path means not following. That path is following your passions. Maybe, but. I think it's very much, though, about um, being true to your feelings, expressing yourself instead of just going along with things, you know. Um, so, gosh, yeah, it is tough. I just yeah. think it's, it's 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 hard. It's really hard. And, you know, it's something I struggle with. I personally yeah. struggle with this idea of passion and because there's lots of things I like doing. Um, there's lots of things I get a great buzz out of. Yeah. Um, but you know, do I have that really core passion? Um, I'm not sure. Well, I and that's why I go back to, well, am, am I blocked as well in some way? Am I, is it just things, am I afraid to engage fully in something to really discover a passion? I don't know. Really don't know. Yeah. I, that's a really, it's a really, really good point you make. And I think, um, I think what we have to stop doing potentially is look at a passion as though it's a one true love, you know. Once you find your passion, then it's then you're on, you know. Now, now you're at Disneyland, yeah. you know. I, I mean, I think I think yeah. um, passions change all the time. Like I, I I imagine that maybe five years from now, like I don't know if I'll be into podcasting or playing guitar anymore, but they were my passions for a period of time, you know. Um, I guess maybe yeah. the word becomes slightly misconstrued with hobby, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah, because yeah, hobby is, is a word that's gone out of fashion. Nobody yeah, talks about hobbies It really anymore. has. Yeah, <laughs> you got a hobby? You're a loser. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because hobbies seem kind of weak, isn't it? It's or, very weak. Yeah. Uninteresting. Something about hobbies is kind of flat. Yeah. But the passion is the fiery thing, and we all want to be fired up with life. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's like you, you kind of do a hobby when you uh, when you got nothing else to do. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, you think of stamp collecting when people say hobby. Yeah, so it's like, oh exactly. yeah, <laughs> oh Jesus, and you've got forty nine. So cats why is in the you, you well. know why is why is surfing? Why do people say surfing? Is, they don't call it a hobby. Why not? Yeah. You know, for some people, I'm sure surfing is just something they enjoy doing. Mm. You know, I don't know, yeah. but I think um, I think it's 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 really important questions to explore though because you start thinking about yourself and that's a good thing. So you start thinking what, what you like and what you don't like. Because mm-hmm. I've only discovered recently, I'm 42 now, I've only discovered recently what I like and don't like. It's just what? bizarre. Like I started doing a big, big list of things. I went, I like, you know, I like that type of wine. I like this type of food. I like this. But I had never done a list before. Yeah. And I think people around me knew me and my likes better than I did. So for example, my wife might have known things I liked doing better than I did. Yeah. It's amazing how unaware you can be of your own life and you just kind of go on autopilot and you know you're in a restaurant you choose things but you're not really clear in your own head i'm choosing this because i really like you know we, we just we work on autopilot so much absolutely that, that is a, a really really good point um barry i wanted to um flip the conversation slightly and um because the dare um everything's been going gangbusters with dare i wanted to um and, and what your work is i wanted to give you a bit of bit of time to talk about what you guys have been up to 
Yeah, sure. So Dare is the book I wrote, which then kind of developed into different programs as well for people who help who suffer from anxiety and panic attacks. Mm. And um, yeah, it's been just kind of really exploding on Amazon, Amazon because of the reviews it's getting on Amazon and then more and more people are buying it and finding out about it. Mm. So we launched an app there a couple of months ago, the Dare app, and it's got lots of free audios loaded into it. So people kind of take it with them wherever they go. And I think you know, that's really empowering for people so that they can use it when they're out driving, they can play it or they can, you know, when they're in a situation where they start to feel highly anxious, they can start using the app. And um, so I think the app is kind of going to be very much the driver of the business going forward. And, um, and the other thing I'm exploring right now is CBD oil, cannabis oil, because I started suffering from migraines about four months ago and was on different medications from the doctors and just not getting a result. You know, it just wasn't really having any impact. The paracetamol, the painkillers were kind of working a bit, but the actual prescriptions I was getting from the doctors weren't working. So somebody recommended I try CBD oil and, um, and the one I started using was uh, Charlotte's web Mm. uh, and everyday advanced. And it's, you know, I would say reduced the headaches, migraines by about 80%. Wow. You know, it was really, really like, wow, that's a huge overnight kind of transformation. Yeah. And um, now when I stopped taking them, the headaches will still come back. So there's an underlying problem there I'm trying to get to the bottom of. But mm. in terms of, you know, managing that pain, it's it's been really effective. Mm. And then I started researching the CBD oil and discovering that. It has this anxiolytic effect, meaning it calms you down. And I noticed that as well when I was taking it. I was kind of more grounded, more centered. And there's lots of anecdotal evidence. If you go onto YouTube, you'll just see hundreds of videos of people talking about CBD oil for anxiety. Mm. And um, so I'm putting together a small research group of people of, of in the DARE community, and we're going to start experimenting and seeing if it's effective for people, starting off with microdosing. So, you know, very small amounts and build up from there yeah. to the point where you start to feel an effect. And then let's see, does it really help reduce general anxiety? Because if it does, it's this natural solution which doesn't have side effects like other medications. And I think um, for people who suffer from general anxiety or panic attacks, I think it could be really helpful to just take the edge off that anxiety and bring down the sensitization that people feel. And it will also allow people then to go out and practice and use DARE as a tool so they can go out and face those situations that they're afraid of much with more confidence because they're not as highly strong or as highly sensitized. Mm. That's so. um, really fascinating because I've, I've just um – I'm just about to begin my um, process of um, microdosing with mushrooms and experimenting with psychedelic mushrooms. Um, yeah. And the reason is because I'm, I'm not sure if the the, um, the data is um, similar to the effects with cannabis, but um, I had a massive experience with mushrooms um, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it was a complete nut. Yeah, ego. tell me about that. I'm interested. Yeah, well um, – it was it was it was on schoolies. I actually had to put a whole chapter of my book dedicated to this completely because it genuinely was the most significant eight hours of my life. <laughs> it was very very yeah. important, and it was um, look. It was I had I had a lot of mushrooms with a friend of mine on schoolies. It was the wrong set and setting. Um, I went to hell and back. Um, experienced very very overwhelming sensations and. Um, um, hallucinations and um, it, it's it opened up this massive can of worms with with underlying 
anxiety and OCD and, the, the, you know, this stuff that had been with me for quite a while. And this is obviously mm-hmm. when I actually um, found your book and listened to it on audio um, uh, back to front about eight times in a row on a Sunday. <laughs> it was good. Mm-hmm. Um, helped me a lot. Um, but, um, yeah, it was a great experience. And it, what it really showed me and what I genuinely believe, whether this is spiritually um, – undertoned or not is that it showed me it just brought to light all these areas of my life that I was fucking up really and I was doing mm. these things wrong and you know um it was um it was a fantastic experience because then obviously all the mental health issues came but three years later I'm the happiest person in the world um and it was it really was a uh, an eye-opener and I, I that's what I'm interested in now is you know it got me right into meditation and diary writing and being open with my communication when talking to people and, and all these things and trying to build on the thing, you know, things that give me fulfillment. Um, but, um, this is why I want to get stuck back into exploring mushrooms again is because there's been a lot of evidence to suggest, and there's this really great guy called Paul Stamets out there. Who's, who's yeah. a, you, you know, Paul Stamets. Yeah, I, I saw the Joe Rogan podcast. Oh, wonderful yes. podcast. Yeah. Yes, yes. Pretty, pretty much anything I sort of list is, is, is pretty much Joe Rogan. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm not that smart at all, mate. <laughs> Joe Rogan's crazy. Oh, it's just a great, great podcast. Yeah. It's just a fantastic podcast. Yeah, there's, if you ever want to learn, to, to anyone listening out there, if you ever want to learn something that will blow your mind, just look up Joe Rogan. He's got a guest there for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah he's what doing, you were saying, yeah. yeah. Yeah, look, he's, do, he's doing all this work and there's a lot of evidence to suggest that these these psychedelics and, you know, DMT and the psilocybin, the ingredient in these these psychedelics offers these personal explorations, um, a very, very important introspection that, again, you know, alluding to what we were speaking about before, I think we disregard in this day and age of distraction. And you're not nervous about taking mushrooms again after having had such an intense experience the first time? Look... I was. I had a massive. It was. It, I was. I had panic attack after panic attack after panic attack. But what I've learned about you know the emotion of anxiety, this beautifully evolved emotion, and everything I've learned, and you know, I, I see. I see the spectrum of anxiety uh, as it resonates in my life. Um, pretty, pretty, pretty accurately. You know that. Like, I mean, I speak publicly every day for work. There's you know ten, twenty, thirty members per class sometimes and I've got to speak publicly for five, six minutes and then, you know, I always get a bit uncomfortable doing that but I recognize that that's my anxiety emotion taking me back to my ancestral times where if I'm standing away from the crowd, the anxiety Mm. sees that as a disassociation, a potential rejection, like, you know, and so I see that my mushrooms experience, while I will probably get a little bit scared um, of it next time, my amygdala has put in place a fear response by association because by all intents and purposes, when I first took the mushrooms, I, I was potentially in a state of danger. You know, I was, I was yeah. out of control and I could have done something that could have um, hurt me. Hard so to, it makes yeah. perfect sense that I have that associated fear response. But because I understand that, and this is again, obviously such power with, with, um, with the dare response and, you know, and understanding anxiety, there's so much power to it because you can see how it manifests in your life and you can actually start to expose yourself to things with that power. 
Yeah. And the other thing as well is that you're now talking about exploring mic- with microdosing, which means it'd be such minute amounts that yes. it shouldn't trigger any- anything too strong. Correct. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, I think um, microdosing will be, I'm not sure if I'll, you know, aug- augment the dose any further. Um, but it's just so fascinating. Like it's it's a real fa- it's a real fad to microdose in Silicon Valley because it you know there's the people get really creative off this stuff. You know. Yeah, completely. Um, I think it's it's so interesting in the area of mental health as well. The research that's going on with psychedelics for treating um, depression, like mm. you know, drug resistant depression, and also. Um, people who are addicted to different substances, they're talking about psychedelics, uh, like ayahuasca being very powerful in helping people overcome addictions, alcohol, drug addictions. Mm. Um, so there's, you know, I think it was Tim Ferriss podcast was talking about, he had a few guests on who, where they have centers where they treat addicts with psychedelics. It's got to, it, it, it's going to evolve and it's, it's going to become really interesting mm. because the fear around doing studies with psychedelics is kind of going now and people are being allowed to to try these things out again after maybe, I don't know what it is, 30, 40 years where yeah. it's kind of banned. Yeah. So it's, um, it's, 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 it's really interesting what mm. the potential it has and um, the healing benefits of these plants. Um, you know, that's kind of what we're talking about really is, is the healing benefits of natural plants that we, we probably were consuming for thousands of years and um, just more in more recent times stopped. Um, but yeah, I was really, I was really taken aback how effective the CBD oil was. And, you yeah. know, I, 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 I was aware of the whole cannabis medical marijuana debate going on and how parents were looking to get it for their kids for epilepsy and seizures and stuff. But I, I never really explored it further than that. And um, it was only when I needed it then, you know, I, I started looking it up and discovered that you can buy it legally um, because it doesn't have THC, this the, that psychoactive element to it. So yeah. you, can, you can take it, there's no high, and um, you can have these effects without any of the kind of side effects that you would get from other painkillers. You know, that kind of woozy, drowsy effect you might get for, if you take a painkiller? Yeah. Um, you, you're not getting any of that. Um I suppose we have to say as well that this is early days. We don't know long-term effects. You know, there isn't studies, there isn't enough studies really done on it yet either, but all the anecdotal evidence is there that says it definitely helps. Now I'm talking about cannabis oil, definitely helps with seizures. It helps with um, the anxiety. It helps with pain relief, nerve pain relief, um, and different kind of autoimmune diseases helping to bring down inflammation. So it's it's great. I think you know. I, I'd love to see every university doing their own little psychedelic trial. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we 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 get to the you know we get good evidence then to find out where where these drugs are or where these plants are effective. Mm. Um, the, uh, the Dare University, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's I'll be a job. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. exactly. <laughs> hey, um, happily so. Yeah, Barry. Um, one thing that I was really interested to um to go into that I don't think we really touched on last time was um your story and 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 how you came to actually find the exposure methods of the dare uh response um but yeah I was really interested in your personal story and and what it looked like yeah so I I would say I never suffered from anxiety up until my first panic attack. But then when I do think about it, when I was maybe eight, nine, ten years of age, there was 
um, indication of anxiety. Like I remember worrying at times my parents wouldn't come home if they went out, you know, as a babysitter and being very worried that my parents wouldn't come home. Um, kind of unusually so stuff like that and I didn't when I was kind of like 10 years of age I wasn't comfortable sleeping and doing sleepovers in friends houses so there was there was something underlying there but then it was when I was um what was I I was 18 and I just finished this exam here in Ireland it's the leaving cert it's your big exam after to finish school and just going into college and we were out drinking partying and the next day, I just got hit with a huge panic attack, mm. primarily from the, um, you know, I was so sensitized. I was so hungover. I was actually in church at the time and I was sitting there. My heart started pounding. I started feeling dizzy and I had no idea what it was. And it was, I mean, if, you're, if you've ever been like really sick and you, you think you're on death's door, that's kind of like when a panic attack first hits and you get so scared by the sensations. Um, and you're just convincing yourself that something horrible, something terrible is about to happen. But weirdly as well, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, um, pulling people over and trying to get an ambulance. So kind of part of me knew that I could write this out in some way, but I was so disorientated by it. And then that led to, let's say a year and a half of high anxiety, constant anxiety, panic attacks, and all the sensations and um, you know, the unusual sensations as well that come with anxiety, things like depersonalization and all of the things that made intrusive thoughts, mm. things that often aren't talked about as much. Mm. And then, um, and then I just, you know, I hit rock bottom and realized I'm, I'm losing some of the best years. This is college, you know, I should be having the time of my life. And yeah. I was, I wasn't comfortable going out without alcohol. So I used to carry alcohol around with me in little, um, <laughs> I used to carry, you know, those, those shots they give you on airplanes, those little Smirnoff vodka oh, shots. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. 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 So those little bottles you could talk, you took away in your, po- <laughs> your coat pocket. And this is when I you would know that it. in a lecture hall, you know, just in case it kicked off. Yeah. Um, it was really interesting. I, I found that bottle, the bottle I was carrying around with me, I never cracked the lit, the seal on it, I, you know, so it was just as a safety blanket. I had it with me all the time. Um, as kind of what people now probably have their Xanax or some kind of medication that they might feel like is their safety blanket with them. I didn't go to a doctor. I should have. I didn't because I didn't want to be labeled as having a mental problem. You know, Mm. I didn't want that stigma and I didn't like the idea of being put on medications because it just felt like, you know, there would be no way out then. It would be, I'd be on this for life and that'd be my new life. So, and remember that this is, you know, 20 something years ago. So it's like um, 20 plus years ago. It's there wasn't access to information on the no, Internet as there is now. You, know, you just couldn't find out about this stuff as easily. You go to the library and the books were all these terrible he- text heavy, you know, jargon heavy psycholo- psychological books that just made you feel even worse because yeah. it just felt like, OK, now I've really got a serious disorder mm. as such. And there was nothing, there was nothing that was speaking to me. So it was, it was one evening, actually. I, I, I just, I felt a panic attack coming on. I said, you better kill me. You know, you anxiety better kill me Mm. rather than keep threatening me. And that was the, the moment when things started to change. There was a shift because I immediately felt a reduction in the anxiety when I had that approach, you know, when I said, basically bring it on, you know, make it, make it worse, kill me in effect, because mm-hmm. I can't keep living this way. So when that shift happened, it was like a change of gears 
and then I, I I started following that route, that paradoxical road more and more, and just kind of went around all day going, okay, bring it on, or being much more accepting of the anxiety. So just stopping the fighting, stopping the resistance, mm. all that stuff I talk about in Dare. And that, you know, really, I just felt my head come above water at that point and could kind of breathe again and could have normal days again. You know, I could wow. get a normal day or two and went like, wow, this this is definitely the right way to go instead of trying to push it away. And I was pushing it away by, you know, maybe doing deep breathing or trying to calm myself down, you know, reassuring myself. And it wasn't working. You know, I was, I was trying to say, it's okay. Everything will be fine. Everything will be fine. But when you're in the height of anxiety, that language isn't strong enough. It doesn't, it's not emotive enough to get to your amygdala, to send it a strong message, to turn off the stress response. You need that paradoxical approach of diving straight in and going, okay, you know, for having this experience, let's have it. And in fact, make it worse. Yeah. That is just this paradox of overcoming anxiety. So I was, um, yeah, I don't know where that came from. Um, because people often, you know, have said to me since they said, oh yeah, you know, it reminds me of Dr. Victor Frankl. It reminds me of Dr. Claire Weeks, her books, which were of course long out there at that stage where she talks about uh, similar experience, similar, similar approach, right. kind of um, accepting. She talked about accepting and flowing with the anxiety. And it wasn't in fact until 2008 when I started reading the other books because um, I felt I wanted to really craft and hone this idea myself, get it, get it down and then go and see what other people were writing about it. And of course I did, when I did re research and discover that they were all talking about a very similar type of mindset, I went great. You know, it, 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 it confirmed that this is the right approach, different, a really different way to tackle anxiety and it's effective and people aren't talking about it. People are just talking about management through through medication or yeah. management through deep relaxation or distraction yeah so that's my story yeah yeah it's 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 a fascinating one and i think um there you you hit a really good point with um you know that understanding about exposure and, and when high anxiety is so prevalent um it becomes very illogical and that there, there is a, an emotive response that needs to occur to, to prove to your amygdala or to prove to that, you know, that inner sort of thing that like, I'm actually not in danger. You know, I think, um, those two different sorts of responses with anxiety when it's, Oh shit, did I just hit that, that car? Oh no, actually I didn't. And you can talk yourself down, you know, through, through logical thought. Um, yeah. and then it's those, those high panic attacks where, it's really interesting. You said when you were in church, you, you felt like you were knocking on death's door and it's, mm. I mean, that's just so accurate though, isn't it? When you, when your body is, is pumping you with a panic attack, you, you, your mind and your body thinks that you are knocking on death's door. <laughs> it's very hard. Yeah. For people who haven't had that experience to, um, understand how terrifying that can be because yeah. it's not like the kind of terrifying, the, the ter terror of jumping out of an airplane or doing a bungee jump. It's it's so um, it's all it's all that unknown mm. that you're stepping into, you know. It feels like this whole dark unknown space that where you have lost all sense of control, and I think it's having a sense of control that makes us calm down a lot of the time. You know, and you know, in a lot of ways, when you're demanding more, you're putting yourself back in a position of power. Very you're true. empowering yourself. But when you're when you feel all of that power has been taken away from you, and you're just you don't know who to turn to. You're so confused. You're so scared. Everything feels so dark. That's, 
you know, it's just like the ground has come from underneath you. And that's a very, very hard place to be in for a prolonged period of time because people spend years yeah. caught up in this anxiety loop. You know, it's, it's, it's something that if people don't get the right information on, on how to step out of it, they can really just literally spend years and years fearing fear. Mm. And the only, there, there are certain places they only feel safe in. And it's usually their home or even their bedroom where they kind of feel they have some sense of control yeah. of that space. But um, outside of their home, they feel they've no control and that the anxiety can attack them at any point. Yeah. And uh, all their confidence is gone in their body. Their confidence is gone in their mind that they can handle these sensations and these thoughts. So disempowering really is the word of, you know, of that, that's what anxiety does to you. Mm. And um, all the work, their work is really about empowering people again so they feel confident that they can, no matter what situation they're in, that they can handle these sensations of nervous arousal. So, you know, I often say to people, it, this work is not about getting rid of sensations. And, you know, people get confused by that. But what I mean is, is that it's not, it's not about going out and never feeling anxiety. It's about going out and feeling anxiety and understanding that you can absolutely handle it and mm. you can work through it in any situation. And you can deal then with anxiety in the same way everybody deals with the jitters or bit of anxiety when they're in social situations or before public speaking. But it doesn't have to um, create such a disturbance that they feel they have to run away from situations. So they can sit in the situation and still feel confident they can handle it. And as a side effect, when you get very good at that, as a side effect, the anxiety lessens and lessens to the point where you're just like everyone else. You know, you deal with your day to day stresses, but you're not worried about anxiety attacking you mm. in, in any kind of way. You really you really almost do forget to be anxious, don't you? Like I, I, I was reading back on a couple of diary entries only a few weeks back and I, I was just reading over how it just because I had um, OCD with pretty annoying compulsions as well and um, the OCD became just 24-7 thought, thought, intrusive thought, you know, and I just wouldn't go away. And I was reading back on these diary entries. I was going, shit, like I, I, I can't even picture myself being this person that's you know it's you just forget yeah. to be anxious yeah it's because being in an anxious state is an unnatural state it's not natural to be so wound up all the time and it's surreal it's a surreal state to be stuck in as well uh and almost dreamlike as well so when you're back normal it's it's kind of like it's kind of like thinking of a dream a bad dream you were having you know, when you're trying to get a sense of what it was like being caught up in that. But it does feel like you feel like a very different person when you're back to normal. And it's why as well, I think people get upset when they have setbacks because they thought that they'd left all of that behind. And then they have a setback and they go, oh, no, this this really is part of my personality. That's what they start telling themselves. And mm. they get anxious and upset by that. Whereas, you know, what I teach people is you have to understand that setbacks will happen. But if you've got the right attitude to apply the approach in that setback, then you'll move out of it again quickly. So you can see setbacks more as like kind of a, a short episode of the flu, mm. something that might occasionally happen, but it's not who you are, you know, and it's not it's not an indication that this problem is going to come back worse than ever. But um, short episodes of setbacks are common as people make that journey out of anxiety and uh then to the point where people won't have setbacks for years and years, but there will always be a trigger. Maybe there'll be a bigger life event or something that can cause high anxiety again. You might feel you're stuck in that rut again. 
But as long as you've got that empowering information of how to step out of it, then, you know, you can you can reassure yourself that this is just something that will pass and, and it does pass. It's funny. I remember thinking, I remember getting very anxious one night over the possibility of not being anxious anymore. I was like, oh, shit, like what am I, I going to think about now? It was just the, the absurdity of the, of the whole heightened emotion. Um, Barry, I wanted to um, ask you one final thing before we, 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 we try to keep the podcast a little shorter. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and it is what what's kind of like your tool to um, – Keep you in touch with yourself, and what do you? What's your form of mindfulness? How do you? How do you? Um, how do you get to know Barry McDonough on a really um, personal level? Yeah, so I've experimented with lots of different stuff, but I kind of go back to what's always worked well for me, which is walking in nature. So kind of hiking, going up the mountains for a walk. Mm. I'm not talking long; just you know, an hour, two hours max. And the other thing is swimming for me really just connects because something about being immersed in water and mm. Um, it's it just kind of puts you in touch with a different part of yourself. But mm. that that for me, those environments. So I kind of need that environmental stimulation to to really feel connected again. And um, I do try and do meditation and mindfulness. It's just I, I I come in and out of it, so I can get it going for a while, and then I fall out of the habit again. Yeah. Um. I know I know how beneficial it is. Um. I do try. So what I try to do then is try to be a bit more mindful out and about, um, just in everyday activities, and just not be obsessing about you know the next project or whatever's going on, or maybe an argument I had, and just trying to trying to stay more kind of present in the moment like yeah. you know all the all the good advice we hear all the time but i think um everyone is different of what works for them and i think i've found for me it's been nature walking in nature and the swimming is kind of the two things that work really well oh and sea swimming like and incredibly oh, incredibly powerful just to be in the sea is really effective for me mm. um those those are my things um but it's like you know a lot of that is coming back, going to that list I, I mentioned, understanding what works. You know, I think you have to write these things down because you even forget, you know, what works well for you. You need to have that jotted down somewhere. So when you're in a rut that you have this kind of resource, you can go to and go, OK, well, I know that if I just get out and do this thing that I will feel better. So I should do it. And that might be connecting with people socially as well. You know, you can find you get yourself very isolated, very easily um, particularly the work I do, it's all online. You know, there's there's this danger oftentimes that I can be too much in a virtual world yeah. and not enough just connecting with people and out about. Um, I, I imagine in your line of work, you've got this wonderful daily connection with people, which is very beneficial for you, you know, and you're seeing results there and then as you work with people. Mm. Is that right? Yeah. Look, I mean, that's exactly right. I, I want to build the mind made up. Um you know, as much as I can and do that part-time, but never lose the, the CrossFit coaching on the side to keep that, um, that element, which is very important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So those are the things. Yeah. Right. And but I think uh, everyone's got to find, got, got to find your own, you know, your own way. Yes. Um, I know the mindfulness thing is huge right now and it's great, but I, I don't think it works. Um, not that it doesn't work. I don't think most people stick with it. So yeah. if it doesn't, if it's not working for you, like if you just can't find yourself putting in the effort to do the mindfulness work or the meditation, then 
Find something that does get you mm. more connected with yourself Absolutely. through trial and error. You know, try lots of lots of different things. I mean, I do so many different classes. I try all these new, weird and wonderful classes all the time just to go just to see if there's a click. And I go, yeah, I'm really enjoy that. Yeah. Like um, we, we don't have to just find again about the passion thing. You know, you don't have to just find one thing that works for you. There could be a million things that work for you. Um, some yeah. that work better than others, but they could still work, you know, like. We, you know, you develop tools when you, when you start to sort of get into the, that, that sort of stuff. But, you know, there's a never, there's a never ending stream of tools. And the other thing is, you know, so turning 40 is kind of a weird thing. And I always encourage people who are in, in my age group to keep experimenting with new things. Like yeah. don't fall into the trap of thinking that, oh no, because you've passed a certain age, you should already know what you're into and just kind of stick with it. I mean, you've got to keep trying new things because you'd be amazed how something you never thought of, you, you know, really resonates with you. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're, you're never too old to take up a new hobby or take up a new interest. Um, takes a bit of just stepping outside the comfort zone to join a class and all that. But um, it's always worth to keep worth exploring new things. Mm. Barry, uh, where can people find you, mate? And um, anything you want to plug? Um, where can people download the app? All that sort of stuff. Yeah, I suppose the Dare app is the first point of call. Now it's it just put in Dare into the Play Store or um, the iOS App Store, yes. and the website is DareResponse.com. So those two places, they'll they'll find lots of information about Dare. Beautiful. Well, it's uh, it's always a pleasure, Barry. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Uh, enjoy the podcast. I hope it's going well for you. Yes, it's going um, very well. It's going very well, and we'll. Um, I'm sure we'll get you on for uh, another chat uh, down the line. Yeah, it'd be wonderful. Beautiful. All right, thanks, Barry. Take care, man. Take care. Bye bye. And that's a wrap, guys. All righty, guys. If you enjoyed that show, please subscribe. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. You can do that on Stitcher Radio, and you can also do that on YouTube. Um, so head to Adventure Fit Travel's YouTube page and you can subscribe there and you get all of our great content. Also, you can find the show notes, anything that you want in the show that you want to figure out where you can find it, you can get it at adventurefittravel.com forward slash radio. Also, don't, don't forget to check out trueprotein.com.au. Use the code ADVF for 10% off. And last but not least, www.adventurefittravel.com. Use the code radio for 10% off there. See you next week.